This is episode 5-6 of Free as in Freedom. And we're back. I guess I can uh, tolerate you saying that because I only like it if you say it in the funny voice from Saturday Night Live. It's a Saturday Night Live thing. Yeah, we talked about this on the show that uh, that there was a Saturday Night Live skit where they were making fun of the the standard Viacom morning shows that they have in every market that are exactly the same that they actually record in some like some silo somewhere in the Midwest that they send to every market and just they just pretend they're local. Um, yeah, that thing. They're making fun of that. Right. And Jimmy Fallon says, and we're back. <sighs> anyway, we were on a hiatus by accident. Well, not by accident, but we were I on a hiatus. I wouldn't say it was by accident, but it was an unannounced hiatus. That's correct. And it was one of our many hiatai or hiatuses. Uh, well, <laughs> actually, um, Orion Montoya, who studied Latin, says that you should not actually import Latin plurals and plus when you try to everybody does it wrong i don't even know if hiatus is a, is a latin root and i don't even know if it's first declension so hiatuses we'll say we've had two now right and we're sorry <laughs> well i i think i think people might have forgotten how we actually record this show and why my relocation i live uh, on the west coast of the united states now which for our non-us uh, uh, listeners is uh, three thousand miles which is how many kilometers karen do i need to start units to tell them that um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a miles person. And unlike you, I don't uh, think about temperature in Celsius either. I told, Except when I'm doing science experiments. I told, uh, I told units, uh, I have 3,000 miles, I want kilometers, and it tells me 4828. So 4828 kilometers away, uh, we are now roughly. Uh, it's probably a little more than that, actually. Um, which I drove in a vehicle, one of those automobiles they make now. It's very sad for me. Uh, that Bradley has moved away from New York. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's New York's a horrible place to live. It really is. I really like it here. But um, I would say it'll be interesting to see how this recording goes and how, uh, you know, we've, we've been used to recording in the same room. And it's pretty weird to be recording and not to see your face. Nearly every Free and As in Freedom episode was recorded in the same room. We've done a few that we did remotely. Uh, actually, we had a recent one we did remotely uh, in December 2014 uh, because yeah. of well, recent, recent from the point of view of the, of the back catalog uh, because there weren't many episodes yet in 2015. Uh, so this is, uh, and actually the two episodes we did in 2015 were just the interviews from uh, LinuxConf Australia. And a lot has happened since then. And, and not just the fact that I, I drove across the country, which, which I rather liked actually, notwithstanding the environmental impact uh, uh i uh i i i think it's it's south dakota is very easy to drive across there's basically very little there um i really enjoyed driving across the country when i did it once as well have you taken the northern route or you always take the southern route right or one I of the took two the southern there's route. actually three southern routes you can take um that, that are i took a very strange southern route why was yours strange because i really wanted to go to Pytown, town new mexico 
Okay. Yeah. Well, the the thing I was doing, and this is relates to dogs, uh, was that I was trying to minimize the elevation we went up. And so one of the things that's true, and 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 those in the U.S. may be interested to know this, uh, that uh, there's a grade limit on all interstates. You can't call something an interstate unless it's uh, a, below a certain grade level. I think it's a three percent grade or something like that. So you know you'll never be climbing fast uh, when you're on an interstate because there's rules. So you never take if you take never take local rules if you always roads if you always take interstates you can be assured of that um and so and also interstate 90 which is the northern route it has the lowest top max elevation when crossing the continental divide i did not know this oh i did all this research to make sure we were taking the lowest possible elevation both in grade uh, increased speed and in uh in max elevation hit the mistake that i made is i did all the mountain driving at night <laughs> oh no by accident yes i in the snow I dr- right well, so this is the thing I didn't know about snow in mountainous areas, which is that, uh, so so I'm from the East Coast like you are, Karen. So when snow gets heavy where you're getting like an inch every five minutes, that's a blizzard on the East Coast. It means you're stuck in the blizzard for weeks, right? I mean, that's, if you see that happening, you know, you, you know, you're in trouble permanently, like, and can't get out of it. And of course, there's these cars basically speeding by me. It's falling like an inch every 15, 20 minutes. We're in six inches of snow. I think like, this is just going to get worse and worse. We're in a huge blizzard. Um, And we were near this little tiny town in Wyoming. We couldn't even find anything that was open. We didn't know if any of there was like one lodge in the town. And we didn't know if they would take dogs. And we were confused. And so we just, I just said, we're just gonna have to keep going. If we have to drive like uh, two miles an hour out through this thing. We're just going to have to drive all night through this thing. Uh, in 20 minutes going two miles an hour, we were in an area that it had not snowed at all. Wow. That's Amazing. apparently what happens in the mountains. And by the third time this happened over a period of hours, I was like completely brazen, like the rest of the local drivers like, Oh, this will be over in 15, 15 minutes. We'll be where it hasn't snowed anymore. So we made it into Billings, Montana at two in the morning. Uh, we drove all the way from uh, Rochester, Minnesota to Billings, Montana in one day. That is the most. I don't really know where, like. (laughs) That means we did the entire state of South Dakota plus a part of Minnesota and the part of Wyoming you have to be in uh, to be on I ninety all in one day. With no speeding. No, I do not. I do not go above the speed limit. It's wrong. That's what's amazing. It's like violating the GPL, right? I mean, I mean, everybody does it, but it's still wrong. It's still a violation of the law. Well, so bringing it back to the GPL, a lot has happened since we last recorded. Well, one of the interesting things that was happening was the, the, the so so Karen and I, uh, well, I before even Karen worked for Conservancy, and since Karen's been working for Conservancy, she and I have been working on a thing uh, to try to get done for the enforcement of GPL that actually was about to finally happen in basically the the week that I was going to be driving across the country. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, it's true. Actually, I forgot about that. The timing was working out so that we would be launching the news while you were in the car driving. Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't work out that way, which was fortunate. Well, we 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 realized that was also maybe not the smartest move. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, it's uh, so um, so. The news was launched uh, just a few weeks after I arrived uh, and relocated to Portland, Oregon. And the news was, uh, I, I I'm kind of not worrying about our usual thing where we talk about the thing before the thing because hopefully all our listeners have already read uh, that Christoph Helwig filed suit in a German court uh, against VMware for a longstanding. A GPL violation that VMware has done in their ESXi products. Right. And Conservancy was um, in a supporting role in this suit in um, 
largely that we're providing the funding for um, for the lawsuit. Right, and people should people can read the FAQ on Conservancy's website um, about uh, the VMware lawsuit. And we talk about pretty much the level to which we can uh, as far as releasing information uh, about the lawsuit. Like most litigation uh, anywhere in the world, uh, your lawyers always advise you to not talk too much about the pending and ongoing litigation. Uh, we're trying very hard to be transparent. We've worked uh, extensively with Christoph and his legal counsel to be as transparent as we possibly can uh, in this matter. Um, and actually, if you read in our FAQ, we've, we've asked VMware um, to do some things to help us be more transparent uh, because we'd like to be fully transparent. And with VMware's consent, we could do so. Yeah, the backstory is that, um, is that in Germany, unlike in the United States, uh, lawsuits are confidential by default. So they're private. The, um, in the U.S., uh, court documents are, are made public. So it's a very different paradigm for um, for the lawsuits, and so um, the expectations on what will be made public and what will be kept private are totally different. Yeah, and I've been actually amazed at how you know, and I'm a, I've constantly said that I'm incredibly U.S. biased as an individual, particularly when it comes to legal things. I mean, I I, I paid attention in civics class. I think most people uh, in the U.S. don't. Uh, but I yeah, we I didn't have civics class when I was growing up. That's pretty horrible. But anyway, I took a class called civics in seventh grade. It was a whole year class, actually. It was it was your history class for seventh grade uh, when when I was with school I went to, and uh, and I paid attention and learned about our our system. Yeah, the very basics. Some of it's uh, whitewashed, not true, but um, we certainly didn't discuss how bad money in politics was uh, <laughs> in my civics class. Which uh, I, too bad I didn't know because I would have been the student bringing in. Well, isn't it true that lobbyists are basically controlling Congress? Um, which was just true in the eighties as it is now. I mean, it's like worse now, but it was certainly still true. In the 80s. Anyway, um, I, I so so I, I tend to be U.S. biased about these things, and I, I try not to be. But I've been amazed that even lawyers who've been commenting on our stuff, that uh, this this VMware lawsuit, have been really U.S. biased, sort of assuming that the complaint should be available um, automatically. Which uh, which is true in the U.S., of course, but the fact that that, that uh, the U.S. Uh, lawyers in our community have not been as worldly um, as I would have expected of them, as far as how the German legal system just works differently. It's amazing because we were very upfront about the differences in the legal system, but uh, but some of the requests were more accusatory, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but uh, but. We can assure you that as much could be made available publicly has been yeah. made available. I mean, I think actually we've done a lot more. I, we've gone further than I think. Uh, I, I mean, certainly when I compare it to Harold Velta's lawsuits uh, that he did years ago, um, he released the decisions, but I actually looked on uh, archives of his website. His website's now gone. GPLviolations.org doesn't exist anymore as a website, uh, active website, but it's available on archive.org and other places uh, archived. Um, and generally speaking, he released the, the, they got the sort of final decision released when the cases happened, but there was no details released before that other than the fact that the lawsuit was had begun. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, you were saying that you didn't, uh, you know, that you thought that you were surprised that so many U.S. lawyers were um, were not very worldly. But I can tell you that I was really floored in the process to discover that we wouldn't be publishing the complaint. Um, I think it's natural for us in the U.S. to be U.S. centric. And I don't think that it's a matter of not being internationally focused or aware. I think it's just that you're so used to the legal system that you are operating in. And as a lawyer, that's the, you know, the knowledge base you have. And a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the news that we're getting about uh, legal cases, and particularly in technology, 
are often U.S. centric. And so we still have the same expectations and norms from the U.S. legal system. I certainly understand everything that you're you're saying. I think one of the things that was so difficult for us in the tech press was the tech press expected this complaint. And okay, they're U.S. centric. That's understandable. Uh, but they really didn't believe us, uh, and there were there were bloggers and stuff who didn't really. They thought we were holding back on purpose for some some reason. Yeah, but I think that the that I think the press cycle moved on from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sort of uh, I, I'm sort of sad that there wasn't investigative uh, journalism about it. Uh, actually, th- there was one only one or two journalists who actually tried to get a comment from VMware in the first place. And uh, they sort of told us what VMware was saying, which wasn't very much. VMware was mostly no commenting it. And then they made one statement, which wasn't really, didn't really say much. Um, but I really would love to have seen some, some real investigative journalism about this, about how the industry reaction has been. And, and we hear things through all our various back channels as free software politicians. But it's too bad that there isn't a journalist out there who actually wants to cover this as a story. I, I guess it's really just a function of, of does, is there enough people in the are there enough people in the world who care about this news and i guess there aren't yeah and it's also the like the amount of work versus the readership for um you know for information that i guess a lot of journalists would feel like well the fact that it happened is the news now and you know we'll see what happens in the next step yeah, I, I mean, I I wish there was journalistic coverage, and I think you're. That's what I was saying about the number of people in the world who care. It's the, it's the readership, as you say. Uh, I wish there was there were more people who cared about GPL enforcement. I, I'm actually pretty worried that there aren't enough people who care about copyleft uh, left in the world <laughs> and care yeah, about whether I, it exists. I, I share that concern. You know, we did. We also did a um, a little fundraiser at the same time as we launched the suit. So we had a $50,000 anonymous match, and we, in a month, were able to match that. Um, and I forget how many. I have the number. It was 1,123 individual contributors uh, helped to donate up to 50000 I think it was slightly over 50000 uh, mm-hmm. And that led us to our 50000 anonymous match, which, uh, which got us $100,000 raised, uh, then minus PayPal fees, of course, uh, in, in, the, in, in this campaign, which, which we really appreciate. And I'm sure many of the folks who listened to the Ogcast were donors in that, and we appreciate it. But to, to be brutally honest with the donors, that is sort of backfill to cover the amount of work. I've been working on the VMware uh, lawsuit, uh, I'm sorry, the VMware violation generally um, since 2011, uh, as uh, as we talked about in the uh, in the FAQ. And so I've regularly worked on this problem uh, since, since four years, basically. And uh, and that's a lot of work for me and for Denver and then Karen once she came on board and, and Tony as well, Tony Sebro, General Counsel Conservancy, all of us have put tremendous amount of hours on this. So the funny part is, is that raising all this money is, is really just covering the time we've already spent. Yeah, uh, because compliance as a, or enforcement as a as programmatic activity is just uh, not very profitable. It takes a lot of time. We, we focus on um, on compliance above all else. Um, and that means that uh, that it, we generally take a loss from it. And, and um, I think, yeah, I th- or I'd say generally is like an exaggeration. We take a loss from it, is what I should say. That's absolutely correct, and and I, I think that's tough for people to understand. I I certainly think that there's nothing wrong, and I and I've said this many times in my public talks. I people still don't understand 
a relatively non-nuanced position that I have, which is I do think that there needs to be a financial penalty because companies only understand financial uh, penalties, generally speaking, fines, uh, as it were, uh, in uh, in anything. And so certainly in enforcement, there has to be. But the, the level of financial penalty brought forward by the the copyright statutes and so forth is, is limited. Even if you have registered copyright, it's a it's it's only uh, it's only a hundred fifty thousand per per version that's violated. Um, and if folks read, and you can actually read this in the public archives of the BusyBox lawsuits, uh, there's a there's an expert report from me and other things in there you can read where we talk about how when somebody violates on one version of something, they violate many of the old versions as well because it's it's iteratively developed software. But even so, it's usually six or seven versions total. And so you start doing the math, and then the judge is just allowed to grant those uh, as maximum amounts they can give you, not not minimums. Uh, and so they can pick any amount they want to give for the copyright infringement. Um, and as a non-commercial entity, a, a non-profit charity uh, doing this enforcement, we don't lose sales. Uh, a lot of times people don't realize this in copyright infringement. And I'm talking it's some of a U.S.-centric point here. But in copyright infringement lawsuits, uh, there's you can chase the actual damages, which are your lost sales. So if you have a competing product that somebody violates your copyrights and uses those your copyrights to compete against you, uh, you can argue they basically took business away from you. Uh, now, Conservancy doesn't sell electronics project. I, I, I actually have there's a there's a there's like five pages in my deposition where um, I get in, in the one of the busy box lawsuits where I get asked if Conservancy produces every single product we've ever enforced about. Does Conservancy produce wireless routers? Answer no. Does Conservancy produce televisions? Answer no. And so forth. So so it's we, we would never argue that Conservancy lost um, specific sales of any product. Uh, we're we're arguing the the statutory damages generally. And they're not very right. much. Right, exactly. But the, the reason why I mentioned the um, the matching campaign, and uh, other than to thank our listeners who donated, because I think there's a heavy overlap, and thank you, um, was to mention that there is, you know, there were over 1,100 people who, um, who responded to the demand uh, to come out and show support and to stand up for the GPL in a month. And so that's something. It's not as high as you might hope for. Uh, but it is still a significant um, number of people. Yeah. And, and it's worth noting that conservancy really is the, the uh, and this is a little bit self-promotional. We, we sort of knew this would happen when Karen came to work for conservancy, that our podcast would become a little self-promotional. Conservancy really is the primary org uh, doing enforcement for GPL because we're the only organization doing enforcement uh, for Linux uh, as far as a as nonprofit charity goes. Uh, and I think maybe maybe the only organization at all at this point doing it, uh, especially since GPLviolations.org doesn't exist anymore. So uh, for that reason, I, I hope people will support us. Um, we have a supporters program. Uh, we could still use your support. And that's conservancy.org, sfconservancy.org slash uh, supporters. And I also want to mention, because this is uh, Free and Freedom, we have uh, a, a, about nineteen hundred dollars, one thousand nine hundred for uh, producer Dan. Uh, this big campaign we were doing—not big, but this was a much smaller campaign uh, we were doing to big, big for us because we don't we don't generally ask people for much. I mean, for money. 
So we're so close now in the budget we set. Um, I'm going to talk to Dan uh, this week, uh, this coming week after we record. So probably I've already talked to Dan about this since by the time you've heard this, but uh, about what conferences he wants to look at and seeing if we can make it in the budget we had. But if we can hit the, tw- the 2500 budget was sort of what I figured, given that he probably is going to pick a conference in the U.S. and therefore it's a, it's a, you know, it's a transatlantic flight. Uh, and then hotel here in the U.S. That's how I built the budget of 2,500. So if we can, you can help us get there. It's only a couple hundred more. Uh, and then producer Dan can actually go to a conference. And I know he likes going to them. It's not something that his his job doesn't send him to free software conferences. I know he does some free software stuff in his job. I know he uses like PHP and, and other stuff like that. But he doesn't get that opportunity um, and uh, and he'll help us out by recording some interviews and also he'll just generally be able to to do that. And it's a, it's a reward for all this volunteer work in a lot of ways he's done. Uh, yeah, we would love to have a way to thank him because he works so hard. Um, he works so hard in, in uh, producing the show. And, uh, you know, it would be just amazing to be able to do that. Yeah, so we're really close now. So so it's, it's really within target uh, if you want to help out uh, and uh, send producer Dan to a conference. And maybe we'll even get to, to one in 2015 uh, if there's if there's time. So, uh, so I, th- I think that's a, that's a, probably enough self promotion for us. Uh, <laughs> if folks have questions about the the VMware suit, I mean, we have in the FAQ that you can write to Conservancy, and and we've updated the FAQ as much as we can. But if if folks want to be walked through the the FAQ verbally, you know, in in, in the podcast, we I think we'd be willing to do that. Uh, I don't I don't see a reason to do that unless it's it's something the listeners are asking for because most people tend to want to read it. But if if folks want that, we could do yeah. it. Yeah. And on a general point, uh, I gave a talk at Libra Planet um, about the um, about the suit and uh, and our involvement in it, and uh, that's available. Uh, there's a, a link from our website in a, a news item, or also the FSF has it as part of their Libra Planet um, materials. So there's there's that too. If you want to sort of, it's more of a, a, a higher level. Um, summary than the FAQ gets into. Yeah, one of my talks in January that, that, that I gave at the Linux Conf Australia conference uh, got a got a good amount of uh, notoriety and press when they posted it on YouTube, uh, which I actually can look at YouTube videos now because they're, they're I can do it with free software. It didn't used to be the case. Um, so uh, so I'm, I'm there on the YouTubes um, uh, and, and uh, I can give a link to that in the show notes. And if folks want us to play, I have a, multiple recordings of that particular talk. That's the, my talk about the future of copyleft. Uh, I, we could play a recording of it on the show. Uh, I haven't done that. I'm about, I'm still actually pitching that talk in a few places. I, I'm hoping to maybe give it one or two more times. I usually wait until I truly retire a talk to put it on Freeze and Freedom. But it's the recordings of it are so far out there that I wouldn't have a problem. But I'm sort of guessing maybe our listeners already went and watched it anyway. So if, if folks feel like they wanted it in the in the in the cast for whatever reason, because they, the, they listen to the, the way where they listen to the cast is not somewhere they could actually get the audio uh, from the, from the internet while they're doing it. Uh, we could do that. So if folks should write in the same thing is true with Karen's talk from Libra planet. If folks feel like that, we ought to put the audio of that on this show. We could do that. So uh, if uh, write in, if you feel that's something we ought to do. Cool. Was there, I think, was there anything else we were going to talk about the VMware? I don't think so. Okay. Um, People said uh, so. So there was a joke going around that we should uh, we should actually do a, a an NPR style uh, fundraising show as as a gag. Um, so I, I don't know if we should maybe do that in a later show or uh, or, or what. I don't know, but you should donate now. <laughs> donate now to keep to keep enforcement alive. 
you know, Karen, people don't realize that enforcement happens all year long. Only every once in a while do we come on here to ask you to support. But to, to get this good, high-quality GPL enforcement that Conservancy is consistently doing for you and your software freedom, there's really no place else you can get that. Well, I really have nothing to add to well, that. It's, Karen, you're supposed to play along. We, we have to do it for like, because usually when they, in NPR, when they, when they break or, or NPR stations, they break in, they go for like 10 minutes and, and just say those kind of things over and over again. <laughs> so yeah so so okay that the answer to uh i think was mike linksfeyer who suggested that it's i think karen does not want to do this uh so i think that's the best you're going to get as far as a freeze and freedom parody of uh of public radio i think i need to be i need to like a rehearsal and i need to be prepped <laughs> that's a lot of work for one gag i think it sure is. Yeah, but I mean, that's actually uh, the, the reason this came up. This came up on Pump.io uh, recently. And, and the reason it came up is, is I was listening to uh, an NPR station when they were doing their pledge drive. We're, we're now in, in spring, which is pledge drive times. And uh, spring and, and fall is the two times usually that uh, uh, radio stations uh, that are non nonprofit charities uh, tend to do this kind of uh, fundraising. And, uh, and I, I was sort of lamenting the fact, uh, I wasn't sort of, I was lamenting the fact that, that there's there's not a lot of opportunity and that's what caused somebody uh, to cause Mike to suggest we do it for freeze and freedom to actually interrupt the flow of something. It's, it's not like the people who want to see us enforcing the GPL or any other, the work that the charities in free software do, there's no real spot to interrupt it. You know, cause we don't want the software to be basically shareware. That's telling you every five minutes, did you donate to the charity that sponsors the software? And of course, conservancy's never suggested that to our projects that they should have that in there. Um, so it's, it's really tough to, to have that opportunity where you can actually get the attention of your donor base. Yeah. I would say you, you listeners can do us a huge favor just by talking about what it is that Conservancy is doing. And more importantly, about the GPL and, uh, and compliance with the GPL and how important it is from an ideological perspective. Yep. So you see, this is exactly, this is, you're doing the NPR thing now, Karen. There you go. That's exactly the kind of thing. <laughs> Am I? Except I kind of distracted and said, you know, even if you don't want to give us money, just helping to promote the issue is really important. I don't think NPR would really do that. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I, I, the, the thing I was lamenting was that in, in just the that particular week, just during All Things Considered, they raised multiple times of Conservancy's budget, entire annual budget. Yeah. So it's, uh, granted, it takes a lot to run, uh, to run an NPR affiliate, but... Uh, I would say that we are such a small and lean nonprofit that uh, small donations go a really long way. It's a huge, like, a, it's a much higher percentage of our overall operating budget if you donate to us. See? It's true. Brought it back around. It's true. Um, so, <laughs> so before we, before we, uh, well, we, it's not actually a parody. We're actually just fundraising. So we should probably stop doing that. I, I, I and I think, I think that uh, I hope listeners don't feel, I, I'm sure you're going to notice a difference in, in our, in our shows now that we're recording remotely like this. I, I, I we're going to, Karen and I are both going to do whatever we can to make it uh, less like that and, and more like it used to be. Um, and I, I had to relocate. It wasn't, I didn't really have much of a choice. I couldn't afford to live in New York city anymore. Um, it just was not, not financially viable. Um, Portland, Oregon is, uh, much cheaper, uh, by, by a whole lot. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to be out here and, uh, and that, that means that I can keep doing the, the work for conservancy I'm doing at the, at the amount that conservancy uh, gives me a salary to do it for. So that's... Yeah, and maybe we can record some shows in person when we see each other. Yeah, we always... Well, you always say that we're going to do that, and then I lug recording equipment only to have it not done. So 
<laughs> hey, there have been times when I've lugged recording equipment to have it not be done too. Yeah, but it's usually me. But now that we're not in the same place, it's more you know, there's more incentive to do it. I suppose that's true. I, I'm convinced that this video back channel idea is going to be the and, and people keep telling me WebRTC works. I haven't gotten it working yet. If somebody actually wants to, if a volunteer wants to help me figure out how to get WebRTC working on Debian, I'd appreciate it. I yeah, and yes, I've read all of Daniel Pollock's blog posts about this, which is the best source on the internet that I can find of getting WebRTC working on Debian. Um, I should mention that I run Debian stable. I guess that's the difference. I guess if I ran Jesse, everything would be fine. And if Jesse releases, I will switch to Jesse because then it will be stable. Um, wait, didn't it release already? Did that, wait, oh yeah, I guess it did release. So I guess I can upgrade. Is yeah. that right? Did Jesse release? I think you can. We yeah, but recently though, you're right. It was I mean, like it was in the last like couple of days, as as we talk here. It was in the last couple of days. So uh, so yeah. Um, so okay. So I guess I can do an uh, aptitude uh, up, upgrade. Um, just upgrade. Um, although I'm always scared to do that <laughs> too soon. Um, how long has Jesse been out now? As we record, I guess I. I think it's like a week or two. Okay. Well, I'm gonna wait a little longer. Okay. Um, oh, that's right. Because Microsoft. That's right. Because Microsoft was doing um, a Debian. Oh no, that was a Debian birthday party. Uh, so I was at Linux Fest Northwest uh, not, uh, last month, and uh, Microsoft funded a a Deb a Debian birthday party. That is so weird. It's pretty weird. Um, and of course, they were doing it because they want Debian users to run Debian instances on Azure, which is their proprietary. Uh, quote cloud unquote platform but it's it, it is it is rather strange you know, to the idea that uh, the maker of a proprietary operating system would throw a party for a free software operating system but um i i'm very glad i'm able to say this they did not invite me uh, i was not invited to this party <laughs> it was an invite only event it was indeed an invite only event i was at linux fest northwest but i was not invited to the event uh, now, because I'm not dis because I'm not actually, I, I joked that I was going to use this politically when I talked to folks at the conference. I'm actually not going to use it politically. The fact of the matter was, you it was one of these things where you had to go by Microsoft's booth and like give them information about yourself or whatever, so they could spam you to get an invite to the party. So, um, so I, did, I I was not willing to do that, and what's that's why I did not have an invite. Um, so, uh, so that's why I didn't go. I understand. But on the other hand, to call it the birthday party for Debian and say the only way you can get there is by giving marketing information to Microsoft for so they can spam you about Azure or something that that is that is that ha that has its own political value uh, to point out in itself. I think um, pretty impressive. Pretty I, I guess impressive, surprising that people went. Yeah, I mean everybody basically everybody went who had an invite. Um, I had a party in my room, um, uh, so there were the people in my. I think some people who showed up in my room uh, were not were not uh, were actually at the Microsoft party and then came uh, after. Um, it wasn't very big. I mean, it was just a hotel room, so there wasn't a lot of room. Uh, but uh, there was that. So there was an alternative event organized by the Software Freedom Conservancy. In uh, since given <laughs> given that the hotel room was paid for by Software Freedom Conservancy, I guess it was a conservancy. Event. Was it a fundraiser? Um, I don't think anyone. <laughs> Donated, although many conservancy, pretty much everybody who is a conservancy supporter who happened to be at Linux Fest Northwest was at in my hotel room. Um, it wasn't that many because we don't have that many supporters. And so when you select for num conservancy supporter and attended Linux team, you get, I think the total was five. <laughs> um, and they were on. You know, the last time we talked about the supporter program on the show, I think I, I went on and on about how. Um, how impressive our supporters were, you know, like that they are famous people of their own right and that, um, and I think that's still true, but I should note that we did double our supporters since that's then. That's true enough, but it's still, the, but double is, double is small when it's your numbers are small. It's still very low. 
I know. So uh, well, we can easily double it. We can easily double it again. We're back to the back to the <laughs> fundraising mode. Yeah. Well, it's, so I, and and uh, I was I hadn't been to Lynx Fest Northwest since uh, 2011. I think was the last time I went. Um, it just. It, I mean, that's the thing is that uh, is that when it, this is the weird thing for for me and Karen, which is that uh, when we travel. We generally, and, and this is actually something worth pointing out, because a lot of people, I've been criticized for how much I travel and saying, oh, Conservancy is just wasting money jetting me around the world. Um, and in fact, almost every conference we go to, we're funded by the conference. So basically, effectively, the conference gets sponsors, and then they pay travel for some speakers. Um, and usually, right. Karen and I can't go unless they pay for travel. Um, the exceptions we tend to make are these these community-organized events. So like Linux Fest Northwest, uh, which is community-organized, uh, it's... It, Community plus nonprofit organized because it's a technical college uh, that organize helps organize it. But um, those are the ones where we make exceptions, exceptions, and we actually spend Conservancy's budget to go to. But even Linux Fest Northwest, because it, it was so far from the East Coast, I hadn't been in many years, and uh, I was only fortunate that I was a, I, I could rent a car cheaply and drive up that I was able to go. Right. I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Oh, okay. We can, we, I guess, I guess we should just record more shows. I sort of feel like we have to record so much more because we haven't done a show in so long, but I guess that doesn't make much sense. We'll just record another show. I think we have to record another show, Karen. That's going to have to be. So Fantastic. we're going to try to get back on schedule. We, we can't promise anything, but uh, we'll try. Thanks for sticking with us. Reason Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Reason Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Reason Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Reason Freedom website, faith.us. That's f a i f.us. dot